0: Good morning, church. Um, Our reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, which is on page 17 in our church Bibles. I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 15. (coughs) The heading on the portion of Scripture says, The Three Visitors. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, yes, you did laugh.
1: Thanks, Jipo. Let's pray. Father, we really pray that you would be with us as we come once again to the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis. Help us to learn a little bit more about you and your ways and about ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is 16 degrees outside here today. What's happened to the summer? In Mamre, it is 32 degrees. And that is where we meet Abraham and Sarah in this story. At the entrance of his tent, he stands in the heat of the day in the great trees of Mamre. So, can you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah so far? The main thing is that they have been waiting years and years. And years to have a son. So far they've not been able to and now as Abraham is a hundred years old and Sarah is 90 we know it's nearly time. You see they have just very recently been told it's nearly going to happen. You see Genesis 17 which we looked at last week Abraham was met by the Lord and told, within a year, you're going to have a son. And he still hasn't had it. But if Abraham's heard that and he knows his biology, he would know that, okay, from then, within three months, Sarah's going to be pregnant. So every day, they are so close. But they're still waiting. And I bet if you're 100 years old, On days like this, in the heat of the Israel sun, even three months can still feel like a long time to have to wait. So as we look at this story, as we look at Abraham, mainly verses 1 to 9 for him, and then Sarah from 10 to 15, I want us to ask a couple of questions. When we're looking at Abraham, our question is, why the wait? Why has God made them wait this long? And later on when we come to Sarah, our question is, why them? Why her, an old barren woman with a hundred-year-old man? So, Abraham first. Why the wait? The great trees of Mamre, back in Genesis 13... We're told that that's where Abraham had settled and that's where he had built an altar to the Lord. So when we hear that he's there, I think we're starting to think, okay, things are going to happen. Maybe he's going to meet the Lord again. And 18 verse 1, the Lord appeared to Abraham. I think this is the heading of this story. And so we are told, as the reader straight away, the Lord is about to appear to Abraham. And we're told... um, a little bit later on, partly in our chapter, but even more clearly next week and the week after, in, later in 18 and 19, that this is the Lord plus two angels. That's who the three visitors are. And I'm not sure when Abraham realized who it was, but I think there's good signs that from early on, he at least knew they were from God. And that's why he welcomes them the way that he does. And so here he is sitting waiting at the entrance to his tent can you feel that 32 degree heat he's probably about to doze off it's probably quite a precious time of the day for him as he rests and just tries to take a break but then suddenly he looks up and out of nowhere three people three men are standing nearby and did you notice how he reacts when he sees them Now, remember, this is Abraham. He's 100 years old, and this is in the heat of the day. And he hurried, he ran to go and meet them. And he bowed low to the ground. He is welcoming his guests with excitement, with energy. He calls one of the guests in verse 3, my Lord. Now, this is not God's covenant name. So, maybe he doesn't realize that this is God himself. But maybe this is a sign that he recognizes that they are superior to him. There is a greatness to these men. Maybe the way that they appeared suddenly made him think that as well. Abraham has met the Lord before, so maybe he's got an idea of what it's like when the Lord comes to meet him. He says that he wants their favor. I think he's shown that if they will stop and stay with him, he would feel privileged, honoured to be able to welcome such important guests. By now, Abraham is rich. We've seen that. He's he's got men. He's raised an army in the past. So he probably looks at a lot of people and thinks, "I'm, I'm the higher one here. You would be privileged to spend time with me. But here he looks at them and said, I would be privileged to spend time with you. I want your favor. And so he offers them a little water, we're told, and something to eat. Verse 4, verse 5. He wants to welcome them. And we'll find out in a second what a little water and something to eat means in Abraham's world. And so they agree very well, they say and his excitement and his energy continues he hurries back home to tell sarah quick he says bake them some bread the best that we have he runs out to the cattle and finds the tenderest one the best one and says quick quick let's get that for our guests he's got energy and he's got excitement as he welcomes these guests he uses the finest flour, the tenderest calf. Curds and milk, does that sound great to you? Apparently think yogurt, bit of a delicacy for them. This is 16 kilos of bread and a whole calf. What a feast. What welcome. There's a, a show on called B&B by the Sea. Um, it's set on the lovely north coast of Ireland and it's obviously about a B&B and what happens is each episode a celebrity comes and stays with them and gets five-star treatment. And so Ellie Simmons has been Hugo Monnier, Deborah Meadham and they show how these people come and spend a few days days with the host of this b and Lovely room by the sea, the best room in the house a world-class chef cooking for them. But I know someone who has been to that b and herself. She says she went with her youth group when she was younger, and she had quite a different experience. She said that rooms that they stayed in didn't look like the ones on TV, and the food that they got didn't seem to be served by a world-class Michelin star chef. Apparently, they treat special guests extra well. I don't think that every guest that Abraham had got this treatment. The welcome they are getting shows that they are special guests. Now, remember our question for Abraham? Why the wait? Well, I think we see here that waiting has helped Abraham to realize that God is willing to come to him now yes he will come and meet him more fully in the future yes the promises that God has promised are exciting and Abraham is looking forward to them and should do but as as he is waiting for God for his promises I think he has realized that when I get a glimpse of God now when I get to meet God himself now I realize he is the best thing that he has promised And so Abraham welcomes God and these angels, gives him his full attention, gives him his absolute best. And look at the energy that he gets from it, it helps him wait. wait. In this moment, Abraham, whether he realizes it or not, is appreciating the giver and not just the gifts. Maybe as you've learned about Abraham and Sarah over the last few weeks, you can relate to their journey of faith. Maybe you've heard God's promises. Maybe you believe God's promises. Maybe at times it feels like a long wait before they come true. His blessing, promise of family, promise of a home. Abraham is learning that God is the best thing. That he has promised. In Luke. In the New Testament. Luke 19. A different man is described as a son of Abraham. Any idea who? I'll give you a clue. He was a very little man. Second clue. He climbed up a tree. You know the song? And as the Savior passed that way. He looked up in the tree. And said Zacchaeus. You come down, for I'm coming to your house for tea. At times, the things that God has promised might feel like a long wait. But in Jesus, who invited himself to Zacchaeus for tea, who invites himself to us, God's best promise has already come true. Unlike Abraham, in the moments that we meet him, we can forget our weaknesses We can forget the heat of life and realise that in Jesus, God is already here. And by faith, we can be like Zacchaeus, that son of Abraham, and can welcome him, have him over today. If when we see Jesus, we go, forget what we're doing at the minute, and bow down. If we say to him, my Lord... I need your favour. Do not pass your servant by. If we offer him the absolute best of the best that we have, knowing even that is nowhere near what he deserves, that is to welcome him while we wait. So how can we welcome Jesus as Abraham welcomed God here? Is there a time in your day, a time that's maybe quite precious to you, when usually you're just trying to escape the heat of life, when that might be a chance for you to actually look up and see Jesus coming to you and to welcome him in prayer, to welcome him in the word. Your commute, maybe. Those last few minutes before you switch the lights off at night. John Piper says, if you have time for breakfast, you have time to read your Bible and pray. Now, again, we need to learn from Abraham here. This isn't, I must do this so that he will accept me, so that he will deliver on his promises. No, this is, I know he's going to deliver on his promises, and now I just want to be with him because he is the greatest promise. This is, I want to give you my all because I know that you're going to give me so much more how can you give Jesus your best how can you give him your tenderest calf the things you are most proud of the skills you have the hobbies you enjoy your online presence your time your home your house I do think this this story is teaching us about hospitality and welcoming others Remember, Jesus does say that the way that we welcome others is how we welcome him. Whoever welcomes a child in my name, he says, welcomes me. How you treated the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You might not have a B&B by the sea, but maybe you do have something that you can offer to others and you can share with them. And if we are doing this, How he appreciates it. Very well, he says, I will stay. I want to spend time with you too. Honoring him with the things that we enjoy and the things that we do. Putting that Bible verse front and center of our identity. Opening up our home for others. God says, Very well, I will stay. Why the wait? Because in the wait for the things that God has promised, we can realize that he is the best thing that he has promised. And he has come in Christ. And so after they have feasted, the men with Abraham ask him a question a bit out of the blue. Verse 9. Where is Sarah? So Abraham has been their main host, but now they want to know where she is. Now, again, let's think about Sarah's journey of faith so far in this story. You see, not for the first time, she has probably felt a little bit outside of the main conversation between God and Abraham. As much as she is central to his promises, she is the one that the son is going to come through. God's made that really clear. He has spoken directly to Abraham. And he must have kept her informed. I mean, she's had a name change. Abraham's been circumcised she will have known about the promises but we're not sure how much he told or how clear he was and I think at this stage she is a little bit behind him on her journey of faith now she is listening in to the conversation between Abraham and the visitors maybe she heard them ask about her name and that that got her attention and now she's listening at the entrance of the tent She had helped prepare food to host them. And then she overhears verse 10, where they say, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Do you know the first thing we were ever told about Sarah in this story? Back in chapter 11, verse 30, here's what it is. Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. Years later, verse eleven, we're told once again she is now past the age of childbearing. She is old. In her own words, verse twelve, worn out. And she has tried and tried and tried to have children tried and tried and tried to give Abraham the son that God has promised, the family that God has promised. Imagine how it felt for her to be unable to deliver in that. They have failed and failed and failed. And we know that they had given up. She had given up by the time we got to chapter 15, which was 15 years ago, by the way. And she said to Abraham, do you know what? I can't do this. Take Hagar, our servant, instead, and go and have a child with her. And so can you blame her for not feeling a bit more confident and hopeful at this stage all these years later? Any Wimbledon watchers today? Finals on this afternoon? If you watch on the BBC, you will have missed the presenting of Sue Barker. She was a great presenter, and she was a very good player. Best she ever did in Wimbledon was get to the semi-final. But she never won it. Now imagine, now that she's quit presenting, um, her old coach took her aside a couple of years ago and said, Sue, do you know what? I think this is your year. I know, I, know, I know you've been retired for 30 years. I know you're 67, but I really think this is the one. I think you should enter Wimbledon and you might win it. She would have thought, Ridiculous. Impossible. When Sarah heard the angel say, It's going to happen within a year, she would have thought, Ridiculous. Impossible. She doubted it. And so she laughed. Again, Abraham himself laughed when he was first told this just one chapter ago in chapter 17. But it does look like he's starting to catch up. He's really starting to believe. At the minute, I think Sarah is thinking too much about herself. She is thinking, I can't do this. I'm not capable of this. But it doesn't matter what Sarah is capable of. Her involvement, her being used by God, isn't about her ability. It's about God's ability. And so remember our question for Sarah, why her? Why them? I think that is so that when Abraham laughs, when Sarah laughs, when they doubt, when they think it's impossible, God can answer with verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You see, God loves to do things that we think are ridiculous, impossible. So that when they happen, we know the Lord must have done that. Because nothing is too hard for him. They say a good workman doesn't blame his tools, God never blames his tools. Not only that, he has gone to the shed and he has found the rustiest tools that he can find and he has taken them out and he is going to work with them so that when he's finished his work, we can look at that and say, God did that because nothing is too hard for him. And maybe most of all, God loves to do things that we think are impossible or too hard when it comes to saving Remember, Sarah and Abraham having a child isn't just about them having a son, them having a family. They know that them having a child is the way that God is going to save and bless the whole world. And it is through that son that the other promises will come true. And the child, if it comes from Sarah and Abraham, everyone will look and know He is from the Lord. A bit later on in our Bible story, we meet another woman who should not have been able to have had children. This time it's a young woman, a woman who's never even tried to have a child. And when she is told, you are going to have a son, do you know what she's told? Nothing will be impossible with God. So it was with Sarah, so it was with Mary. They found it hard to believe. Friends, what are you finding hard to believe? What has God said or done? What has God said that he will do? That's making you laugh. That's making you doubt. Ridiculous. Impossible. Did God really send his son Jesus, God Himself, to save the world, including me? And now I'm supposed to follow Him and He's going to forgive me for all my sins and change me and make me like Him? Is Jesus really going to come back and bless the whole world? Is He going to come back in judgment? Next week we're going to see that as well as blessing Sarah and Abraham and their children these angels are going to judge the world. Is he going to come back and bring all of the other promises family, home fully true? Is God really going to bless the world through his people? The church? People like us? People like Abraham and Sarah? Surely I'm not able to be a part of that surely he would never use me surely that weakness I have or that sin I have is going to make me useless to him but it's not about what we're able to do it's about what God is able to do is anything too hard for the Lord maybe you've got a friend that you're trying to lead to Jesus but you just can't persuade her to give up the things of this world And maybe you're really struggling to live a life that shows that following Jesus is different and attractive and better. Maybe you're trying to raise children in the faith and you're just feeling like I'm one voice in a hundred. I can give this a go, but I can't do it well enough. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Grosvenor magazine came out just last week. I think they're at the back, as Richard said. Do grab one. First page, let me read what it says. For over a month, I couldn't get out of bed in the mornings. I was unwell, incapable of doing anything. I learned I am weak, but God is strong. The headaches remain but are managed by some great medication. Although I would love them to go, they are also a gift from God that remind me of my weakness and that I am made to be dependent on the strong God. That's from Ed, our own pastor. You're not allowed to tell him that I quoted him in the one week, that he's not here. (laughs) God has always used weak people. God made Gideon get rid of an army so that he could show that he would win the battle. He used little David that people laughed at to defeat big Goliath. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And when he's talking about his own struggles and weaknesses, again, Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, this is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So if you are doubting like Sarah, then you can know that the Lord can use you because nothing is too hard for him. Remember her question with Sarah? Why her? So that we would know that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Now, as Sarah was listening in, we're told she laughed, but we're told she laughed to herself. But her doubts, they were known by the Lord. You see, he knows us. He knows our struggles. He knows our doubts all the way in here. He can see that. And it's amazing how he acts. He's he's interested. He asks about them. He invites us to bring them to him. And the good news for Sarah is that despite her doubts, her fear, even her lying, despite her barrenness, despite her age, God is still going to use her have a look from verses 12 through 15. Count up how many times the word laugh appears. It's just been repeated, isn't it, that she has laughed four times. And we were told in 17 that the son that they're going to have is going to be called Isaac, and that Isaac means he laughs. Now, in our language, sometimes a name can mean something, but it's it's not actually the same word. Whereas for them, The word Isaac actually was the word he laughs, which means that every time that we're reading this, the the word laugh is mentioned. What's she hearing? Isaac, 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 Isaac. The promise is still going to come. And in the end, we're told that Sarah does have real faith. Hebrews 11 verse 11 tells us about her. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Why them? So that they would know, so that we would know, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Abraham and Sarah continue their journey of faith and they are nearly there, like marathon runners who can see the finish line. Why the wait? So that they could welcome God and not just his promises. Why them? So they would know that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Amen. Let me pray and then we'll sing. Father, we thank you so much for the story of Abraham and Sarah. We thank you for how you used them in such a special way. We thank you that we can learn from them. And we pray that you'll help us to see how your promises come fully true in Jesus, your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Do stand as the band come up and we'll sing, All My Hope on God is Founded.